0: Delightfully nerdy history friends. This is historical AF. I am Kina.
1: I am David.
0: We are two public historians bringing you some random and spooky historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Episode 69, baby. Sex history part three.
1: Since I started listening to podcasts, it's been my it's been my <clears throat> goal to be on a 69th episode
0: <laughs> Man. It was like a fight to the death. Everybody was like, I want it. I was like no, it's taken. <laughs> I, must, I have to. I
1: have to say though, last week's guests uh, who I loved a lot, and I actually started following their podcast today just because of that. But I, I feel like they probably should have. <laughs> they probably should have had it.
0: Thank you for joining me. No David and I are basically the same person, and we have lived very parallel lives. I think we talked about when you were on a mini. I think there are some
1: key differences, Kina, But yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I like lived in the house. Really close to the one he grew up on. And then we went to grad school. We're both history nerds. We're just, we're the same person. We researched the same. We're both kind of overachievers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, people kind of see me as an overachiever, but I, I really only overachieve. Right, like, like I'm that marathon runner that saves all of his energy right for the end. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, A thousand percent. Yeah, I'm
1: the one that pisses off the people who've been running steady the whole time because I'll, <laughs> I'll just like right at the end.
0: Man, so tell everybody a little um, bit more about yourself. Your history teacher, history nerd. What got you into history? I don't think I've ever asked you that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of strange. The the high school that I went to, which is actually going to come back and play a little bit when I talk about. <laughs> the The topic, but the high school that I went to was a, uh, like a small Baptist school. I wasn't Baptist, although I was, you know, extremely re- religious, but the school that I went to was really small. Our history education was very, very minimal. What I always tell people and what I always told my students too, is we talked about slavery for like five minutes, like one day in my world history class, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. that like just overview, you know, stuff that tried to make America look good and all that all that. Anyway, I never had an interest in high school, obviously, after that in in history. And I, you know, I only wanted to become a teacher initially because I don't really know what to do, you know, starting out. But I knew I knew that uh, that, you know, I I had something to offer, I guess. So when I transferred to UCA, I started actually in the in the English department and I was going to be an English teacher. And I loved it. Like, I love the literature and I still do. But every time we would read a book and our professor would, you know, discuss it with us and we would talk about that topic, I kind of uh, found myself researching a lot of the, the stories that were behind, you know, the stories that were written by like these, you know, 18th, 19th century authors. I would get so into the research of the story behind it that like I would kind of neglect the story itself a little bit. <laughs> I told them, I think I kind of want to do history. And my uh, advisor said, well, you know, you have already wasted one semester. So if you <laughs> want to do it, you better do it like now. So I was like, okay, like I'm just going to dive into it. And so I transferred programs and got into the social studies education program and started doing a lot of history classes and really loved it. And I kind of, you know, I taught for a couple of years after I graduated in 2009, and f- found out that I, you know, through teaching history, that I didn't know like near as much as, mm-hmm. as uh, not just about history, the content itself, but like, like how it, you know, how you study history, how you actually go about studying history, and how it's written.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: so I was like, you know, I want to, I want to know more about that. So then I went to graduate school for a history degree at UCA again and graduated in 2014 and had my eyes open to what history actually is versus, you know, what so many people think it is. Yeah. And, uh, which is like this thing that's, you know, people think it's like set in stone and, you know, it's, it's hard to argue with, but it's basically, it's all it is, is argumentation. It's, you know, it's tons of people just basically saying, here's a, I found a little scrap of evidence. Let me make a whole argument Mm -hmm. out of it and it and then they argue with each other so it's um, (laughs) yeah so then I taught for a couple more years and decided that with the state of of education and my experience in the education system I didn't I didn't really want to teach anymore so I wanted to do something else with history so then that's when I got in the public history program to kind of start trying to work in museums or in in the preservation and and just do research for a living and stuff like that. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's my experience with history. I, I mean, I've lived in central Arkansas my whole life. I hope to move away, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't have the privilege of being in the military, like, you know, so, uh, like, yeah. like, being a military family member. So.
0: That's true. They didn't give me they much, much of a choice. <laughs> like Three months go. Yeah. Yes. I, re-
1: I remember that
2: whole thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was a uh, bright, in the middle of the program. So after two semesters, you had two more and I was like, Oh shit.
2: <laughs> How
0: can I finish in three semesters? Do you not recommend? Don't do that. I don't think I see. I think that's why I'm still tired. I I'm not recovered from grad school. I'm so tired. Yeah. Uh, it ruined yeah. me.
2: <laughs> it bruised. It
1: bruised your soul. It did It did. Yeah. But yeah, if anybody, if anybody wants to know anything else about me, you know, you can just, you know, you know, hit me on Facebook or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really don't have an interesting life, so I can't really uh, have very much more to
0: divulge. So do you want to go first? you want me to go first? Mine ends on a less morbid note, so maybe you should go
1: first. <laughs> less morbid? I guess mine kind of like leaves some to the imagination. Yeah, so I'll go first. Why not? I chose the uh, the random, and the the random keyword was notebook, right?
0: Yes. Stacey F., yeah, she picked the word notebook the word,
1: the word notebook quick
0: shameless plug if you join patreon as a brilliant af and above you get to pick a word so boom there we go shameless
1: plug well thanks stacy because a lot of times <laughs> found a few things you know like when i was trying to think to, to find a topic there was a dude who spent some time in antarctica in you know like the early 20th century who documented the sexual behavior of penguins <laughs> in notebooks that were like copious notebooks that were found later on and they were, Oh man, penguins are so depraved. Like, or what we would think of as depraved really. It's it's basically just like human secu- sexual, behavior without social mores in place, <laughs> like, you know, without religion or whatever to keep them uh, shamed, I guess. Penguins are like necrophiliacs and, and yeah. uh Anyway, so I wanted to choose something that had to do with human sexuality, though. So I ruffled through a few things and asked a couple of friends of mine. I had thought about doing a writer who, you know, dealt a lot with sexuality. So I, you know, I always liked Lord Byron as a writer and sort of like his his libertine philosophies. And I thought about the Marquis de Sade, but I just kind of tossed it away. And then I asked another friend about it, and she was like, "Yeah, you should do the Marquis de Sade." And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll try to find something that has to do with a notebook, you know. <laughs> so actually, I came across an article in the Independent from like 2016 or something, where these these two guys, had, and I actually had forgotten about this, but Dessaud wrote a book while he was in prison, and it was mostly written like in note form. Um, Ooh. Or, yeah, it was. It was because he was in prison. You know, he had to like mm-hmm. smuggle in the uh, the you know, the pieces of paper and stuff. So it's, that's going to be my topic. But he's actually, you know, he's, he's a really polarizing figure in history. Is so interesting. I definitely suggest him as a research topic for anybody just because historians don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're so argumentative about him. But anyway, so yeah, my topic is the Marquis de Sade and his book, The 120 Days of Sodom.
2: 120
1: days of Sodom, which should give you an idea about (laughs) about the contents of this book.
2: I'm just Uh, giggling the whole time.
1: What What do you know about Desaad?
0: I really don't know much of anything. I I mean, I probably do, but I can't remember.
1: (laughs) All right, so I mean, at least everybody will know this about him. His name, you know, he's French. His name is spelled S A D E. His namesake was used for the term sadism. Uh, Okay, I did know. In his fictional works, he depicted a lot of deriving pleasure out of inflicting pain, you know, and not just pain, but you know, actually like murder and things like. It's some pretty out there shit, but uh, so let's let's get get
0: into it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's just a little precursor. So yeah, it blends macabre and morbid, but it, it blends it with the novel and with some pretty killer note making. So yeah, for those that don't know him. His full name is Donatien Am my French is terrible but Donatien Ambrose François de Sade or the Marquis de Sade.
0: Yeah, we um, don't know French here. It's fine. Just- oh, okay, good.
1: <laughs> the Marquis de Sade, he was a French noble and I guess libertine is like a is like a generous period appropriate term. If, if those of you who don't know a libertine basically is like people during the 18th century who kind of advocated, you know, Living however you want to, you know, take taking your what were considered vices to like the full extent. So, like I said, his name was used to coin the term sadism or sadistic, which kind of gives you an indication of where we're going with this. <laughs> Wanted to talk about his life just a little bit. You have any questions so far, Kina?
0: No, I'm just I'm boggled up and ready to go. <laughs>
1: All right. <great. laughs> to kind of put this in context, he was basically a contemporary of, you know, Thomas Jefferson, revolutionary, both American and French time period. So he, I think he was kind of like bound to have an interesting life. He was the only living child born to nobles in 1740 on a large estate in Paris. I think that I read that his father was bisexual. Um, oh. if, if that's not true, don't quote me on it for sure, but I think I only read it one little source. But his father was like ruined financially. So his father kind of like moved away or left them to kind of fend for themselves. Although he remained in decides life, uh, which we'll see kind of like later on, but his, his mother joined a convent. Um, He was kind of abandoned. He was apparently really entitled and bold and like aggressive as a child. He, apparently beat the shit out of the Prince of France Holy <laughs> when, they shit. Both, when they were both like, like six years old. You said that so casually too. Yeah, no, no. Well, that's I, I, because I read it so many times. I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn, that is pretty. But I, I mean, he had to have known even as a child, like you don't really, you know, you don't do this. Yeah. Um, even as a child, he was pretty brazen. He was so misbehaved that he was sent. To live with his uncle in the south of France, who was an abbot in the church, you know, so he was he was kind of a higher up man of the cloth, quote mm-hmm. unquote. But he was also kind of like a lecher himself. is uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise.
0: Are you telling me that people high up in the church aren't very churchly?
1: You <laughs> know, I'm telling you <laughs> that everybody's human.
0: It's you know? true.
1: And, well, we know, were
0: talking about nuns and dildos two episodes ago, so let's just keep this going. Know, it's just- yeah.
1: yeah, no, I mean, but it's basically <laughs> it's basically that you know a, a lot of his works like include you know scenes where nuns are defiled in the church and stuff like that. It's he oh. it's, it, it definitely brought a lot of this from his childhood, but you know, I, I looked at a couple of different documentaries and stuff preparing for this, and they would talk about how he. You know, his first experience was sort of like lecherous behavior was with his uncle, the abbot. You know, who was who was supposed to be a man of God and who kept a, a mistress and even fucked her daughter too. So, like oh,
2: you know,
0: that's like some that. Ben Franklin stuff that was happening at the same time too. He had his yeah, mistress. same time. And actually, yeah. like
1: you know, Ben Franklin visited France a lot too. Thomas yeah. Jefferson, and it was a. It's actually speculated that part of the reason why they visited France a lot is because this kind of behavior was—it wasn't necessarily like doned by society and by the church, but it it was tolerated. But
0: (laughs) you could speculate wildly that he was in one of those sex cults. That's yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Actually, I think think Desaad was a little too gangster for sex cults.
0: Probably, yeah,
1: (laughs) sex cult. (laughs) When he was with his uncle in the south of france he was essentially raised by servants there like his uncle you know tended to his duties a lot and or his his duties <laughs> uh, he was kind of prone to be demanding and spoiled you know he was he was a spoiled kid so much so that his uncle kicked him out and he went, <laughs> he went back to paris when he was 10 years old and attended a jesuit school there so um he, he was 10 <laughs> He's 10. Yeah. And do you know anything about Jesuits?
0: <laughs> yeah. They're like super strict, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Strict and yeah. militant.
0: They do a lot of like self-inflicted harm too, right? Yes. Now yeah. we're getting there. Now it's making yeah, sense. Really.
1: <laughs> Everybody, Everybody's like, oh, sadism. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was definitely, I mean, him being who he was, who was, you know, he was outspoken. He was that kid who always pressed everybody's buttons because he just wanted to. He saw, you know, he was he was raised in the church, but like he always saw people in the church who basically didn't practice what they preached and all that kind of stuff. So he hated I mean like he he grew up just thinking like that the church was the most, you know, hypocritical organization and so he when he started going to this Jesuit school, he was, you know, often beaten and flagellated and usually like in front of people to purge him of his his iniquity (laughs) Uh, (sighs) and apparently he became fixed on it you know fixated on it i should say chains and whips excited him (laughs) (laughs) so anyway yeah he was definitely developing what we would call like bdsm characteristics very early and by the way the s m of b d s m in sexual behavior refers to sadomasochism. His name is literally a part of a <laughs> subject of like of sexual behavior uh, what a legacy
0: uh, i mean oh yeah
1: that was dessad's gospel. you know it was like humans in their most independent, most natural form will always sort of tend toward self serving lecherous behavior and they'll take advantage you know he wrote novels about that and stuff which we'll talk about in a minute but his theories were really interesting he just went about it in a way that became problematic and yeah i would suggest going looking at like documentaries also to get sort of like a light version of it who he was watch the movie quills have you ever seen that
0: i don't think so I don't write that it's down
1: jeffrey rush and kate winslet it's like 2000 maybe 2001 you know, like any historical based movie, it's probably a bad representation of who Desad was. But
0: so that should be the next drunk dive check. All right, writing that down.
1: Yeah. So anyway, he goes back to Paris. He goes to this Jesuit school. They flog him, you know, often in public in front of his peers, often naked completely. So he attends this school from 10 to 14 years old. You know, most of his biographers say it. It really deeply rooted in him because he talks about he talks about flagellation so much, in so many of his you know his works. After oh yeah, home. those are
2: your
0: formative years. Yeah, that's where you're becoming your who you're gonna be. That's
1: that's a good point. I was gonna make that point. Is is that
2: yeah.
1: you know? Can you imagine like being stripped naked in front of your classmates when you're in eighth grade? And, and <laughs> no thanks. And, 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 uh, and whip you know with somebody behind you being like
0: you're a bad boy <laughs> you're a bad boy or <laughs> being like harder daddy
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I dig that so yeah I mean that's gonna impress itself upon you and and honestly like those formative years like you were saying you I mean you've studied psychology it, it it's uh especially child psychology it's, it's so that period in your life is so impressive Yeah. That you can't I mean some people theorize that like you basically are the person that you are when you're like you know from five to like 15 years old like you just always are that person you know and so mm-hmm. all of your experiences from that time you know become enmeshed in your <laughs> in your psyche and in the way that you express yourself so it's uh, oh
0: yeah uh, in that period, your hormones are just all over the place, too. So you're feeling everything so much like amplified. I can't yeah. imagine. That's just like a perfect storm just creating who he it becomes.
1: Yeah. It's basically just chemicals in your brain, man. It's like being yeah. on drugs that, you know, that intensify those, those chemicals in your brain. It's just they're, they're so much more intense. So, so, yeah, after that, he attended military school. He became a soldier at 15 and fought in the seven years war. Oh my uh, God! He was—he did that for, I guess. I want I guess. I guess about ten years or so. He was imprisoned or institutionalized for about a third of his life.
0: <laughs> oh my God!
1: You're 34, right? 35. 35. I'm. I'm 34, and he—he uh, he was in prison for 32 years. I think. Oh my name. God! I, imprisoned or in like a or in like mental institutions, and so. Yeah, a third of his life was basically like his, you know, he, he was behind bars, so he was locked wow. up. You know, it, it was kind of a, what you would imagine like a white collar prison to be. Yeah,
0: life. but still, can't be that fun.
1: <laughs> he wrote a lot of his works while he was in prison.
0: Plenty of time on your hands to write if you're
1: <laughs> in prison. Exactly. Actually, I, w- I was watching a documentary today and everybody who was biographer of him was saying like, if it wasn't for his time in prison, you know, he never would have written anything because he would have mm-hmm. just been following his you know <laughs> following hard on. i guess i don't know uh, but he <laughs> he was yeah he, he was in prison for about a third of his life later in his life it was mostly for what he wrote which we'll we'll get to later on but earlier in his life it was for sexually violent crimes and he managed to kind of like keep them close to the chest for a long time but this is where a lot of historians sort of diverge on his on his character
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because you know today he would most definitely be and a lot of people actually want to still suppress his his writing and stuff because he would still be you know canceled he would be canceled like mega in in today's <laughs> today's yeah. media. because and and for good reason i mean he was he was definitely well we'll
0: see uh so you know, <laughs> no spoilers let's just go <laughs> yeah
1: so what to, to kind of get into you know his post-military divulgence into the life of uh of social you know deviancy he married into a, a noble family which was partially organized by his absent father to help bolster his family standing and well oh. of course because he his father had pissed it all away and He ended up doing the same thing, which is funny, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) kind of funny because he still ended up enjoying his wife. They had a really deep affection for each other and kind of complimented each other. She actually even helped him a lot in in his uh, debauchery, but his his wife, Renee Pellaget. He had pet names for her, which included and oh, the- God. <laughs> it's ri- writers come up with the if you ever read like writers or thinkers in history and like their pet names for their wives or their significant others, it's so it's the best. <laughs> read about like Einstein's pet names for his first wife. It's so great. He called her like his little witch or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, his his pet names for his his wife included the celestial kitten. <laughs> Oh my god i love that i know wouldn't you like <laughs> how does that how does that not get you how does that not get you laid <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite wheat pork of my thoughts <laughs> 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 and this is this is all according to a, a 2014 Smith uh-huh. article but i suppose uh-huh. they better than I would. they've read this Oh,
0: it's even better that it's on this episode. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> pet names are typically bad. They they are they are usually so bad. I, I've actually, for the most part, <laughs> for the most part of my life, like I, I've avoided pet names. But it's actually like when you force yourself to start trying to think of like, you know, ones that aren't like Babe or Hun or whatever. Yeah. It's it, they're actually they become really <laughs> kind of it becomes like a fun pastime. I encourage all couples to try to think of like really add off the wall, pet names for each other. (laughs) Not, not that you wouldn't use normally or that you have to use pet names at all, but like, it's
0: true. Yeah. Oh,
1: but uh, that's
0: too funny. Imagine,
1: imagine walking in and your, your husband is like, Oh, Hey, Celestial kitten. (laughs) My Celestial
2: kitten.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's like about to climb on top of you in bed. and like, Oh, sweet pork of my thoughts.
0: Oh, I need to write that down. <laughs> it's good man. I'll see what Zeke says.
1: Because <laughs> it's a double entendre, like sweet pork, but also
0: sweet pork. <laughs> <laughs> I'll report later what Zeke does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me what
2: Zeke says about it.
0: Well, <laughs> I just shake his head like he normally does. Like, what's wrong with you? Great.
2: <laughs> right.
1: So he really enjoyed his wife. It's funny because he also apparently really enjoyed her sister. Oh no. <laughs> he basically almost immediately after they got married, he started fucking his her sister and oh. also an actress in Paris he took up with. You know, copious amounts of prostitutes uh, that oh. he brought back to his his residence and employees he employed people of both sexes that were kind of like expected to to serve his his whims. And, and a lot of times, like the, the prostitutes and the employees would, would leave and report his vagaries for which he would sometimes be shortly imprisoned. Like, you know, they had this specific law. I can't remember what it was, but it basically allowed for nobility. It allowed the king to bypass like the courts and just imprison somebody who was a member of the nobility. If they were like embarrassing enough. <laughs> so basically, if they did shit that was like uncourtly, he could to let it cool down for a while. You could just throw him in prison. People would forget about him.
0: Keep and born. Like, If he was like a modern celebrity, he'd probably be like thrown in rehab for sex addiction or something like this.
1: I'm telling you, man, I could have researched the depth of what he was into for like months a couple of days ago i had to like stop myself from here <laughs> i was like this is gonna be too long
0: it could be its own podcast honestly
1: yeah it really could so yeah he would often be in prison usually for like short amount of, amounts of time one prostitute described him he, this kind of gives you some insight on his you know his rationale for the stuff that he wrote and the way that he thought especially about the church but one prostitute described him making her deny christ and stomp on a crucifix Oh my and, God. and whip him with a cat of nine tails, which is actually masochistic, you know, before masochism was a thing. But mm-hmm. um, so he kind of incorporated his disdain for the church into his sex play, uh, wow. which, you know, coming from somebody from a really religious background that that can be hot. <laughs> like. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'm sure just knowing how much the church would hate that just makes it even better.
1: Like, I mean, I don't want to get too graphic or anything, but I've had fantasies of, you know, performing acts like inside of a chair, you know, inside of my childhood church and stuff, (laughs) you know, or like the school that I went to, like, you know, we had chapel every Friday and this, this, those kind of fantasies, you know, they, they do, they do prop up and he, and a lot of his, his, his biographers and historians will say, you know, he, he took those those fantasies that really like most humans have and he he just kind of like put them into overdrive he put them into into what he called you know human nature which was and human independence which was basically like i'm going to carry this to its full extent you know humans mm-hmm. are can be cruel and they like they'll they'll take advantage of stuff so that was kind of his downfall it was that you know he did all that stuff and like I was saying, you know that stuff can be really hot, especially like <laughs> in, if you're if it's like fantasy play and stuff. If you're both game, you know. Yeah, Saad so, definitely had like a consent problem. <laughs> to say yeah, that. Uh, he was, and I, I I really don't say that lightly. I, it sound it sounds kind of like I'm joking about it, but it, you know he did write a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of works that were very like. They flew directly in the face of the church at the time, and they were very subversive. And so he was really, you know, he was really useful for that. The way that he actually acted, you know, sometimes was pretty rough. So the first major incident, to give you a couple more examples, the first major incident that sort of brought him into disrepute with Parisians, at least, was that he met a uh, widow beggar on Easter Sunday in 1768 named Rose Keller and she asked him for money he said he would he would pay her if she came back to his home but when they got there he locked her in his chamber uh, tied her up oh, whipped no. her and oh, possibly no. poured hot wax on her um ah. she she actually said that he like cut slits in her skin and poured oh hot
2: god on her. <laughs> no
1: although he he only claims to have applied ointment on the whip burns and uh the the authorities at the time said that there were actually no like open wounds on her or anything. So it's, it, oh. it could have just been that, you know, he just whipped her and it felt like an open wound or something. But, uh, nice. but, um, th- I mean, th- this all sounds pretty familiar to your average BDSM or, you know, today. So like if you're into, yeah, but if, if you're, you're just like,
0: I just wanted a quarter for some bread, fuck this. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> Somebody who's into BDSM today would probably be like, "Oh, that sounds hot," but you know, the, you gotta have a safe consent, word. <laughs> consent, which is which is definitely not something that was in play in in the yeah. So, so it, it definitely struck a pretty scary chord at the time. The way that he saw it was like, I mean, obviously it was seen it was seen as rape by anyone else, and there, and actually like. I don't know if he was ever actually like formally accused of well yeah he was but uh but <laughs> uh, he he saw it as like a uh, almost almost darwinian before darwin like
2: oh.
1: in his mind it was you take advantage and you get the thing that you want and you know the chance of which is you know to us is really it's deplorable and it is
2: mm-hmm. but
1: another thing that was interesting about researching him is like historians There are so many historians, especially like during the 60s and 70s and stuff, you know, during that age of revolting against the establishment that that really like idolized him and very, very like polarized uh, views of him. And because he did challenge the church a lot and he, he did write these things that were actually some of them had like really sexually independent women figures, you know, that were that were key characters in his book, the most sexually independent women were the ones that often fared the best, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, they take his writing and, and his life and stuff with a grain of salt. I mean, obviously they didn't call sadism, sadism for nothing. I mean, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he definitely had a very deranged mind and it's actually going to get a lot worse. <laughs> so, oh uh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So one last, uh, so his reputation was damaged after the Rose Keller affair. he, had a couple more incidents, like he and a manservant of his, basically like roofied some some prostitutes that they had, had um, you know hired, and oh, and no. uh, so that they would be more apt to enjoy the sort of like the limitless orgy of, of passions and stuff.
2: Oh, um, yeah. He and
1: he and Latour, his manservant, were actually s- sentenced to death after that for practicing sodomy.
2: Oh, um, yeah.
1: But they fled to Italy and stayed there for for a couple, of, you know, for like a year or so, a couple of years maybe. And then when he was back at his Southern France estate, he uh, in 1774. This is probably his most deplorable act. I mean, well, it is for sure. Oh but, no! Um, He's just
0: like this is bad. This is bad. This is worse.
1: Sorry. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll I'll gloss over it as quickly as possible <laughs> because I need to get to the meat here, uh, which is the actual notebook part. You know, the actual notebook. Okay. Have- and this actually, his wife was in on too. Like, I about he, her. <laughs> he kept six local children, um, no. five, five girls. I think they were like children and teens. Like, I, I can't remember the youngest one, but maybe like late, uh, tens into, oh. into late teens and molested them along with like many house servants. And uh, oh, remember this because, like, it's going to come into play later with what the actual <laughs> the the actual writing that
2: you did. But oh.
1: yeah, so raping McRaperson and his wife, you know, they they kept these kids for a little while, and finally, they I mean, they were released, but their parents obviously complained, and <laughs> <Nah>. uh, <laughs> so he was arrested. He was arrested again. He was definitely imprisoned for a while for this. But the standing death penalty that was that was on him was lifted in 1778. And he he basically just bounced around between prisons and insane asylums, including the Bastille, which oh. uh, than most people know the Bastille, the famous prison in Paris where where a lot of arms were kept. And that was, it was kind of like the jumping off point for the uh, or one of the jumping off points for the French Revolution. So he was actually imprisoned in the Bastille. This brings us to the, to the actual note taking part of this. <laughs> story. So how how many minutes are we in?
0: It's fine. <laughs>
2: sorry. It's fine.
1: Sorry, sorry. So we have a comment here. I'm sorry, but his wife was in on this and complicit with it. Didn't even try to stop anything. I think by this point, I asked myself the same question, like, because, you know, later on in life, I think she kind of, she kind of abandoned him because he had been in, in prison and insane asylum for so long. But they were really fond of each other. I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I do think that like people form bonds with each other. That you know, the longer that they stay with each other, and they tend to like take on each other's characteristics. And it, basically, like if you can't beat them, join them, sort of thing. I don't know what I don't know what her reasoning was for that, but yeah. it's it is definitely an interesting like historical question. I don't know if there are any like documents to to. Um, yeah actually, it's actually
0: weird because there's there's a lot of like true crime cases where the wife isn't necessarily like an instigator in any violence but they're definitely complicit so it's
1: yeah it's sort of a, a form of stockholm or something like that almost maybe but yeah but there's actually you know they wrote each other tons of like love letters and stuff like that and even though she knew that he carried on affairs and, you know, did all this, this pretty morbid shit. A lot of their writings, their correspondence to each other, I actually saw in a documentary the other day, was like redacted by the French government. <laughs> 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 like it was too, it was either too explicit or it was like too. Um, oh,
0: yes. New role. Have your so, love so, letters even, be so. Explicit that the government has to redact them.
1: <laughs> yeah, so even even if she had like written him a letter that was like, "Hey, you know, it was kind of fucked up that shit that you did to uh, those kids that one time," it may be part of like redacted uh, redacted maybe. documents. So
2: <laughs> maybe it's,
0: it's, like the first ye old talk dirty to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you have a strong stomach for for stuff like this, hey, it's I, I definitely like suggest. Looking into his life, it's it's really—I'm
0: sure—psychologists have a field day. Well, I mean, he has a whole—he
1: yeah. has a whole subsect of of sexual yeah.
0: named after him, and that's not even—that's
1: not even half of what he railed against in his life, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so his imprisonment in the Bastille brings us to this point. He was imprisoned in the Bastille in 1785, but he he started writing a book which. You know, he wrote most of his books when he was in prison. A couple of examples of different books that he wrote, probably his best one or best, uh, I mean, it depends on how you look at him, but was uh, Justine, which is about an innocent girl who who tries to walk like a holy path. Like she, you know, she and her sister are orphaned. Their parents die suddenly. Uh, Her sister is like 17, she's 15. And so, Justine is, she tells her sister, like, I'm gonna walk righteously, like, I'm not gonna fall into temptations, I'm gonna, you know, make my way honestly and all that kind of stuff. And her sister, uh, Juliet, is like, now fuck that. I'm gonna <laughs> go, I'm gonna go learn from the whore down the street, like, how to, to live like a salacious lifestyle. And I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, because I want to explore the full extent of my humanity. You know, I want Mm -hmm. to explore, I want to explore my desires. So, you know, Juliet is kind of like a, the liberated, at least in her mind, she's the liberated. She's, she's not going along with what the church wants her to do and all this kind of stuff. And she actually ends up being like a courtesan and like, you know, ends up living a really cushy life, ends up rich and happy at the end of the book. Whereas Justine, who tries to like rock you know rock the the noble path and stays very innocent and guarded and stuff she ends up being like constantly falling to sadistic abuse and stuff like that like she's Mm -hmm. raped tons of times and just all kinds of stuff and she ends up like ruined you know by the end so it's it's basically decide saying you basically you have to follow your human you know your human instinct and like the church's uh suppression of of your natural desires is like is ridiculous, you know. So which is, you know, to some extent a lot of people would agree with that today. So it's that again, Mm -hmm. it's one reason why a lot of historians sort of have a hard time like you know, with how to how to depict him, which I don't think that's really hard. I think that a person can have really revolutionary ideas but also be an asshole, you know. Oh yeah,
0: that's most of history. (laughs) Like Exactly. They're shitty, but they might have a good idea.
1: Yeah. So, uh, he, he also wrote a book called Philosophy in the Boudoir or the Bedroom, which is, uh, basically like a group of orgy mates which discuss how, discussing how like absolute liberty is the truest state of man and religion is ridiculous and, uh, men are animals that commit crimes of passion and desire both pleasure and pain. So stuff that you would, you know, expect him. But his sort of, Magnus Opus was this book called "120 Days of Sodom," which is he described himself, and I think it actually holds up as being like the most impure book ever written.
2: <laughs> God, <laughs> it is like, a funny. hell
1: of a thing to say about you know about something that you write, but it's <laughs> it's so true. It was uh, he was sent to the Bastille in 1785, and he began writing this, but he had to like sneak in paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so he only wrote fully like a quarter of it and the the rest was written in note form in like really tiny text because he had to smuggle the paper. So like he wrote it in a, in a way that like people who have had to, uh, to translate it have had to look at it through like a focusing glass.
2: Oh, wow. It's
1: so tiny. So he, he must've had really good eyesight. It's not necessarily a notebook then per se, but it's definitely notes that were that were turned into a book. (laughs) So so I'm I'm kind of borderline on.
0: It's okay. There's there's wide interpretations.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it was it was definitely notes because they had to take his notes because he didn't finish the book. He basically he knew that he wasn't going to finish it. So he wrote it all. He wrote all the rest of it out in note form and uh, he was going to finish it later. But. In 1789, the Bastille was stormed, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, as we know, and destroyed. And de had been transferred. He was brought out naked, like out and transferred to a different prison uh, or to a mental asylum. But he left the unfinished manuscript and all his notes in the wall, like tucked inside the wall of his, his cell. He was taken out just a few days before the Bastille was stormed. But like a couple of days later this dude whose name i forget um <laughs> it was just a dude nobody knows anything about him but he was he was in there and he he actually recovered it just saw it was actually upset because he thought it was lost like he thought oh. that the book was lost for it he he never he never saw it published but the dude took it and like kept it for himself and like You know, it bounced around Europe for a little while and finally ended up in like a Swiss family in in the early 20th century. And it wasn't published until 1904. So it's kind of like a really interesting. Yeah, it's like a
0: long time. It's a
1: crazy. Yeah, it was over 100 years. I don't want to go into too much detail because I think everybody should look into uh, (laughs) it. (laughs) <laughs> look into 120 days of Sodom themselves also because you would probably have to beep out so much of it it's, uh, <laughs> basically the overall plot is that there are these four members of the nobility and clergy I think two of them are clergy and two are nobility but they they're all like middle aged and they are the descriptions of them in the book are just like they're rough like there's one guy that's so it's here. The quote is he's frightfully dirty about his body and attached to voluptuousness there too. He's so encrusted with bodily filth that it (sighs) adds to the surface of his penis and anus. (laughs) He used to be a judge and enjoyed handing out death sentences to defendants. He knew to be innocent. He murdered a mother and her young daughter before the events of the story. So it's like, it's all of these characters like this that are so like, just beholden to their depra- their own depravity you know so these four these four guys employ these four middle to late aged prostitutes who've seen everything and the descriptions of the prostitutes are also <laughs> really rough like they, <laughs> a lot of times they don't have an eye or they you know like their, their asshole is so like you know wide open from use that like <laughs> they don't feel anything it's just it's he's he's as he's as like he's like as explosively what do you call it well just gross as he can be you know with all this stuff so anyway they they use these four prostitutes to give them scenarios that they've experienced and then during the day so they listen to the stories of these prostitutes during the day and then at night they have all of these kids and teens and servants and stuff who they've captured and are keeping naked, like in cells and stuff. And then they practice all of these awful things oh, with them no. over the course of four months over the course of four months. You, like the first month is like, it's like simple passions. So like non penetrative, you know, acts and then the December is like the the complex passions, which is penetrative and sacrilegious stuff, flagellation, incest, all that kind of stuff. And then oh, January. Good. That's
0: my birthday month. Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: you actually didn't get the worst of it. So don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I, I got my my birth month is January, so I got <laughs> almost the worst of it. The January, they reserve for the criminal passions. So it's kind of like building up. The whole book is yeah. building up to so like more and more violent, you know. So the criminal passions is like sodomizing with, you know, various objects, hot pokers. All, oh, no. Know, of, it's, it's really, really awful shit. And then February is the Murder passions. So it's like, Aww. you know, they actually end up killing the majority of these people. Uh-huh. Also, the four guys include their four daughters in this. Oh no. so like they're they're raping and and <gasps> brutalizing their even their daughters so it's like no, 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 it's no, a no. really if you've ever watched a john waters movie you know <laughs> it's i don't know if anybody knows the john waters movie. it's shock it, it's meant to be the most shocking thing that you've ever seen mm-hmm. you know, like scat like 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 eating shit and you know it's re- it's really like a obtusely like gross stuff you know meant to be that way so that it shocks people and they're like analyzing their humanity (laughs) you know i'm human you know have i thought about this stuff like that's what the book is about and it ends with like the murder of all these things and then these guys reflecting on it it's it's really crazy and fucked up so um there was a 1975 film made about it called salo s-a-l-o um which is if anybody wants to look into that Uh, and get a sense of what was going on in his (laughs) mind. Anyway, Desad was declared insane and sent to a facility in 1803. (laughs) Uh, You don't say. (laughs) And I mean, he wasn't insane, but he, a lot of times at that, you know, in that point in history, like you, people were declared insane when they were so uh, overtly, you know, antagonistic.
0: Yeah. um, He just just needed, he needed some good therapy. Yeah. He needed but to deal he, with some of his mommy and daddy issues and Yeah. yeah. He,
1: he died in uh he died in a mental facility in 1814 and even had a final confession ironically. Um, oh. But he died in his sleep. So if you watch that movie with Jeffrey Rush that I was talking about, he actually doesn't die like he does in that movie, but he he died in his sleep. He's kind of considered as like like alongside Voltaire as like one of the one of the enlightenment thinkers that quote unquote killed God. Um, you know, he was, yeah. he made people like self-analyze so much th- that um, basically they forgot all about what the church was wanting them to do. And he is, you know, like I said, he's, he's seen as like a, a visionary by some and a, you know, to To others, it's so bizarre to that people make him into a hero
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: you know i'll let I'll let anybody judge for themselves but um but I think both can be true at the same time like I said, his name was used for to coin the term sadism by a psychiatrist in the in the late nineteenth century, and it was mixed with uh masochism which was that's it's a, based on another author who often wrote about like pain being inflicted on him. So mm-hmm. um, for, uh, Freud later described uh, sado, sadism and masochism as both sort of stemming from childhood development, usually, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think is kind of obvious, at least in, in Saad's case. But um,
0: that's, that's too easy. Freud try right. harder. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You didn't even try on that one,
1: which I guess there wasn't a whole lot of psychiatric, um, you know, development before Freud. I, that's so true. It, um, but his book, you know, Desaad's books weren't unbanned in France until like the 1960s. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating, especially the story about how 120 Days of Sodom actually, you know, lost and then rediscovered and how it was written. And it's, it's just, uh, it's, he's a nuts life. man.
0: And like, Yeah, it's both horrible, but fascinating. Exactly. That's exactly. basically history in a nutshell. <laughs> <But it's like, laughs> yeah. You know, but also for him to be a sadist and die peacefully in his sleep, do you think it pissed him off? Like, really?
1: No. <laughs> like No, actually, I don't think that it did, because he was also a masochist. Actually, there have been some people who said, like, he's more of a masochist than he was a sadist. So I think that he, he never wanted to give anybody, like, any kind of satisfaction, you know, uh, that, that wasn't, like, specifically geared toward what he was had in his mind so i don't know I, it depends yeah. that's a good question though
0: <laughs> just like you like the pain die peacefully it's probably yeah. god one last little like you like that here you go this is what you get <laughs> god's version of fuck off
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be. i don't necessarily believe in god to, you know, to, to that degree but it's uh I, I think that i think that there's definitely like universal irony so it It has uh, to be
0: yeah that was so interesting i didn't know like the majority of that (laughs) (laughs) like i've heard of him and i've seen things but i've never like extensively studied him before
1: you don't usually go into history (laughs) and psychology classes but also he was one of those figures that was just like uh people just kind of want to keep quiet historically
0: that's true people don't like people that Go against the church or go against social norms. Mm-hmm. You know, sex has always been one of those things in history. People are like, don't talk about it. <laughs> it's bad. And then you uh, got all they, the people being like, no, it's not. <sighs> anyway, murder.
1: <laughs> yeah. About this murder. <laughs> Jack, the Ripper is always, you, you're still on Jack. the Ripper. Yes. Dope, man. Well, I mean, I say it's dope, but <laughs> like God, it's, it's just mm-hmm. one of those things that are just, we're, and we're removed from it historically. So it's just,
2: mm-hmm. It's all Definitely.
0: speculation because mm. they couldn't collect evidence. So now it's just historians being like, "I think I know." <laughs> so I was trying to like narrow it down to what to talk about. So this is what I come up with. I know I've I've left out some theories. I've left out a probably about a hundred suspects. Is Johnny Depp was a suspect? <laughs> As I was doing this, I was like, "That should be one of the drunk dives coming up." <laughs> <laughs> I just figured out a green screen behind me, so just the have a so yeah. Man, I need to rewatch that. I really liked that movie. It's excellent. So this week I'm doing Spooky AF and it's going to be Jack the Ripper Part 2. So last week I talked about the 11 Whitechapel murders and the Canonical Five. And then since I did that, one of the Patreon members, Stacy, told me about a book called The Five by Haley Rubenhold. And mm-hmm. so I looked at that and she suggests that the Ripper victims were targeted because they were homeless, drunk, or asleep, not because they're prostitutes. And she actually argues that only one of them was a known prostitute at the time. So that was an interesting theory because I've always heard that they were all prostitutes. Again, we go back to the study of history and how. Yeah. Find a different angle. Yeah, and it's an interesting angle, and you know everything I've read about Easton and Whitechapel is anybody that lived there was really poor. So it was probably very easy to assume they were prostitutes because they were super poor. And yeah. then also the police did such a horrible job investigating that maybe it was easier on them to just call them prostitutes. So yeah. They'd feel less guilt because there was that stigma. If you're a prostitute, maybe you deserved it. So that's kind of what I was thinking that book was going towards.
1: Yeah. Or maybe at some point they got so desperate that they dabbling in prostitution is it's a, it's a viable, you know, yeah, and some
0: know. of the stuff I read was saying that women were prostituting themselves for stale bread. They were so hungry that it was just they were so poor. I also get that people seem to associate these murders with prostitutes just because how sexual the injuries were. You know, right. they had their uterus, uteruses, <laughs> uterus, high, I don't know, cut out, and they had mutilated vaginas and stuff. So I'm assuming that's probably why most people go with that. Um. So the research I did last week was based on what's in the, like, Ripper official documents, but nobody knows. So it's all up for interpretation. And that's the great thing about history is that you get a new historian, they come up with new evidence, and then we uh, figure it out from there. So, yeah, different angles. Oh. Yeah. And with things
1: like that that are unsolved, you know, historians mm-hmm. kind of become the key investigators.
0: Yeah, and it's all a a mess because the investigation was a clusterfuck, to put it lightly. (laughs) So I did go a little into.
1: (laughs) (laughs) 19th century London, but they
2: weren't very careful.
0: No, I just, I I know I mentioned it last week with the John Mulaney bit, but he's just like, ew, gross, mop it up. You know, that's just how I see this. (laughs) So I found, like, some of the many ways this was just a huge disaster. The police first didn't work with the media. And as a result of that, the press was pissed off. So they were very petty about it. And they just followed this investigation with, like, a microscope. And it was kind of like paparazzi today. So the police couldn't do anything with the press, you know, publicizing it. And it wasn't great for them. But it's really good for historians because now we have a play-by-play of everything that went down. So the police were frustrated. But today we know what happened yeah silver lining
2: (laughs) (laughs) that would be tough back then, man.
0: yeah and if they would have used the press to their advantage like we do now you know like zodiac and stuff they you know use the press to try to get a step ahead but they didn't do that back then they thought the press would ruin everything and they had a lot of other problems outside the press like a poorly lit labyrinth of an area so east end was just impossible it was all alleyways no no lighting so that's why people are getting murdered people just assumed it was drunk people passed out and they'll be like oh shit (laughs) so that wasn't great and then the metropolitan police department was suffering from a severe shortage of manpower so they didn't have enough people to investigate anything and even if they could navigate this labyrinth they just didn't have enough people to do so and then the morale was taking a nosedive because the press was just badgering them and then they were all fighting within the department because nobody could agree on what to do. So they were just dropping like flies. Not really working. And then of course, as it's all before the age of criminology or forensics, that's a bummer. And yeah.
1: Then- I mean, how do you know to it's it actually amazes me that even like the Golden State Killer, which was like nineteen seventies, yeah. you know, but even then they knew it it actually amazes me that they knew to keep the dna you know mm-hmm.
2: oh same things, yeah
1: even though they didn't have the technology to you know to follow it or whatever i can't imagine in the 18 you know in the late 19th century that they're like uh let's keep a vial of this woman's blood <laughs> instead of yeah. just oh god get it out of my sight <laughs>
0: Well, that's the thing. It's, like, bodies that were found in a murder scene, they were removed immediately to take to the mortuary. So they didn't even, like, take a time to figure out the crime scene. They just cleaned it up. And then a doctor was only called to the scene just to make sure the dead person was dead. So -hmm. they weren't there to look at things, like... Body temperature, or
1: anybody could do that. <laughs> it's true. Actually, actually, I just saw on John Oliver the other night. Like anybody today can do that. Like you, <laughs> like you can get licensed to be a, uh, a coroner oh really yeah like any fucking dude
2: on the street
0: <laughs> i should do that to add next to my like being an ordained minister <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> yeah <quarters>. sister kina
0: <laughs> uh i did marry one one couple so i feel really accomplished <laughs> uh, except <laughs> like during the wedding, wedding i uh forgot to tell people to sit down after the bride came so everybody's was standing there very awkwardly so that wasn't great. So <laughs> next time, I'll remember to have people they're, say
1: that. They're giving you the, hey, can we? Yeah. Can we, uh, can we yeah.
0: It? Well, I was just staring at the couple. And then finally, somebody like motioned at me. And I was like, oh, yeah, sit down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I suck. <laughs> Let's just forget that happened.
2: And then you were like, um, fuck. And then you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm not supposed to guess.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good times. They also didn't know how to distinguish between human and animal blood. But like, how could you if you didn't have, you know, a laboratory or something? And no one would have thunk to look for hair, sperm, or saliva because they probably were like, ew, gross, and then just cleaned it up. So all these things that could have been helpful, they just weren't a thing. And it was still five years away before Austrian magistrate Hans Gustav Adolf Gross <laughs> mm-hmm. published his groundbreaking book, A Handbook for Examining Magistrates, Police Officials, Military Policemen, etc., so he was the father of, like, criminology. And because of this, only one piece of evidence was found, or honestly noticed. And it was a piece of cloth smeared with blood and gore in the open doorway of 108 to 109, 109, 119 119 <laughs> 119, Wentworth <laughs> God, I suck today. Wentworth Dwellings in Goulston Street. So that's the Whitechapel area, right after the double murder. And it turned out to be a piece of linen apron that had been cut from Catherine Eddowes' apron that she's wearing, so that's the yeah, only evidence I they got. Things.
1: This, this yeah. is partly why I'm so interested in this case. Like, it's uh, the this is the thing that was found like a few years ago, right? Like,
0: well, this is different. They did find a shawl that they think came from her too, and somebody. Oh, we'll get into that in a little bit.
2: <laughs> so
0: this suggested that after he committed the murder at, I think it's Mitre Square. I'm so sorry, British friends and then it, it assumes that he went back wait sort of like, wait wait i was i was having a problem with french and you're having a problem
2: with <laughs> <French>. <laughs> yeah i think so That's i don't know about myself now. looks like me
0: trying to me but it might be like meter i don't know the hills <laughs> just make everything sound so bad <laughs> huh. so like it, the it idea is hurt. that he because the the double incident is like he murdered you know, one woman, and then he didn't get to finish, and that's when he went super like ham on the second one, like just extra brutal. Probably because he couldn't finish his ritual. But it this proves that he doubled back. So either oh. to see people discover that body, or possibly because he lived that way. So that's what they're assuming with this one. Yeah. With serial killers, that's what. And like everybody's like, oh, the second one was so brutal, but it's like he probably the compulsion to finish out what he didn't get to finish is probably right. Anyway, crime scene photography was also a baby science at this time. So the only time they took pictures was to identify victims. So all of the victims had their picture taken, but it was just in the capacity to identify them later, not as a crime scene. Yeah. So you can, if you Google any of them, you're going to see their their, uh, post-death photo. But only one of them, Mary Kelly, was actually photographed at the scene of the crime. And that photo was bad. She's the one that was in her home and she is just there's not much left of her. It's gruesome. So, google at your own uh discretion. <laughs> You've yeah. been warned. You know, I w- what was the actual cause of death
1: there? Do you remember?
0: The last one they think died from the neck slash. The other ones they think died from strangulation.
1: Cuz yeah, the so blood splatter. You know, you we always think about like uh, you know, the brutalization of a of a body, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I wonder, like, you know, cause the, the dead person, if they're dead, like, they're not gonna, gonna feel mm-hmm. it or anything. So it's like, you know, to us, it's just so shocking. That idea is interesting to me because killers will, like, like, so basically what I'm saying is, like, that's for an audience.
2: Mm hmm.
0: You know?
1: It's, it's for him and it's for an audience
0: <laughs> yeah and it escalated so intensely
1: mm-hmm.
2: like
0: she was like this they call it the swan song because it was just so brutal and then it just stopped that's yeah. why it's just so fascinating because serial killers tend not be able to stop on their own at that point yeah so that's why i subscribed to the idea that he either died or went somewhere else but it's oh, it was so bad But I did find this little interesting tidbit that I didn't know. So Inspector Walter Dew reported that several photographs of the eyes were taken by expert photographers because he thought that the eyes would show the last image they saw before they died. And then he just, after he's like, it didn't work. The result was
2: negative. (laughs) Solid science there.
0: (laughs) Like they were really hopeful that this was going to be the crack in the case. And he's like, oh, didn't work. And then, as for good old fingerprinting, not a thing. The idea that a person's fingerprints, <laughs> this is so funny, sorry, backing <laughs> myself up. The idea that a fingerprint could be connected didn't really happen until the 1900s. The first time that it actually led to a conviction was 1902. And it was Harry John Jackson, he was a laborer, and he was jailed for seven years for stealing billiard balls. <laughs> 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 the first fingerprinting. <laughs> Conviction was for stealing balls. <laughs> Aww. I am a child. Ironic, but... <laughs> too,
1: because you're not even supposed to touch those.
0: <laughs> oh, That made me laugh so hard. Fingerprinting would have been helpful because he supposedly, Jack the Ripper, sent in some letters. And there were hundreds of letters sent to the police and the press. And, and then, most of them are deemed call, fakes.
1: Did hmm? they call that one the case of Harry's balls? <laughs>
0: If not, they should. That should be a book. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> damn. Harry <laughs> like, uh, wow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <hairy> slash balls. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine just like that's your legacy? Like you make history, but it's that. Mm-hmm. You're just like, damn it.
1: Actually that that's um, another goal of mine is to be like a like a like a really quirky footnote in history. <laughs>
0: that, I mean that is a goal. Yeah, Start
1: helping me think of uh, ideas for that, by the way.
0: Yeah, have a podcast because I'm a, I'm assuming that in the future when people are trying to learn about the Rona, they're going to listen to podcasts to see how we all coped. <laughs>
1: that would be every, a good podcast. Quirky quirky footnote people in history. Yeah.
0: TM, 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 TM,
2: TM. TM, 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 TM,
0: <laughs> TM, TM, TM. TM. <laughs> but yeah, I'm assuming because even podcasts I listen to, you see at the beginning of the Rona, everybody being like, oh, this is weird, blah, blah. And then it's like, Okay, well, let's get a little serious. And then it's just like depression. <laughs> Everything is horrible. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yep. We're not just, comfortable inside our own minds.
0: So I am completely just accepting that I will be a primary source someday. So hello, future historians. I am ready.
2: I'm not significant enough. Here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: huh so they sent a lot of letters to the press and most of them were deemed as fakes written by either newspaper reporters trying to like start a story or just some ass ass trying to incite more terror because you know like every serial killer has a copycat being like i'm gonna write a letter and blah, blah blah and most of them end up being already committed so they couldn't be the person but some experts believe that some of them are true so there's the dear boss letter the saucy jackie postcard <laughs> All right. and then the from hell letter so the movie Not from hell think it is.
1: the letter just had a whole bunch of spaghetti sauce on it <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the dear boss letter is the first time that he uses the term Jack the Ripper so it's important and then he also in that one talked about how he's going to cut off an ear and then the next murder was the double event and they cut off the ear so they're like oh no this is legit so that's why they think that one and then the yeah. saucy I'm not British enough for this saucy Jackie postcards the same thing it talks about that murder and they're like oh it has information he couldn't know and then the from hell letter is the one that came with that fun box that had a kidney in it so like the movie yes. from hell Yeah. and then the letter I just think is hilarious so it says from hell Mr. Le- the spelling is horrible Mr. Lusk. Sir, I send you half a kidney I took from one woman and preserved it. For you, together, peace, I fried and ate it. It was very nice. Nice is N-I-S-E. I I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only uh, wait a little, uh, uh, a while longer. Signed, catch me if you can, Mr. Lusk. All these words are missed. Like kidney doesn't have a y preserved as p r a s a r v e d uh-huh. so this is a joy to read i
1: i wonder and i think that actually it's been speculated before cuz i feel like I've, i remember this like the misspellings and stuff mm-hmm. that it it could have been like an immigrant or something or like or somebody who wasn't familiar with the the language as much
0: that's um, what i would think cuz there are two polish suspects yeah and i think that's kind of where they were going for or maybe a code i don't know because some people are like oh he was so nicely dressed and he might be a surgeon so maybe he's smart so i don't know people think maybe a code hmm. but oh, there's no way to know it's very frustrating yeah. <laughs> but if you want to read all the letters they're compiled at a, a website called casebook.org slash ripper underscore letters and you can read all those and i'll put them in the show notes but it's really interesting. You can read all of them and they're like photocopied so you can see the actual writing and stuff, which is really
2: interesting. Dope. Dope, 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 dope.
0: I love reading the letters. So who is Jack the Ripper? Nobody fucking knows, and it's really frustrating. And I just wanna know. Like if I had to pick any serial killer no, I think it's this one. It just bothers me that I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I think yeah. a, I think a lot of people feel that way. like if they, they would probably put him number one.
0: Yeah. That or like Zodiac, I still, I'm still holding out for Zodiac to get some DNA justice. I think he might, cause he licked his envelopes, so it's possible. Mm. I'm really disappointed that my DNA didn't catch a murderer. I really,
1: like, I honestly think that Zodiac is dead, but I also, I don't. <laughs> I mean, they may find out who it was. Yeah. This may not be a hot take either, but I also think that Jack the Ripper is probably dead.
0: Oh yeah, at this point yeah i mean i would believe that like i said he had to have either died or went somewhere far away
2: oh no i mean dead now oh
0: yeah absolutely well like one of them he died in like the 40s and i'm like there's no way that jack the Ripper lived to the 40s and didn't kill another person yeah (laughs) these are all very frustrating to me so anyway (laughs) the number of suspects now runs over 100 just for like the ones people think are even plausible, like Lewis Carroll, everybody's like, "Oh, he's it. But no, he was just high on opium. He didn't do anything. It's a fun story, but. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: But yeah, it is kind of interesting. At some point it almost becomes endearing that we don't know. But, yeah.
0: You know, it's just legend. Like if, like
1: if we found out who it was, you know, it's not going to be as satisfying as what you make up in your mind. For sure. That's
0: true. I'm sure. And there's, you know, the self-proclaimed ripperologists that have def- just dedicate their entire lives to prove that their ripper oh, is the ripper. Can guys. you imagine? Yeah, like if we somebody proved it someday, they'd be like, God damn it, I was so sure i it. <laughs> and I've mentioned it before on the podcast. I I went to a tiny ass school, but I got to take my college English class early. (laughs) I can't even say English. That's great, English class, (laughs) and there was only eight of us. And she had us pick a Ripper suspect, and we all had to do a persuasive paper on who was the Ripper. You know, by the end of it, all of us were fighting because we're like, "My dude did it," and the other people like, "No, my dude did it." But all of them make sense, so it's just, it's just really fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. To the point, y'all, y'all were arguing to the point where, like, you were you were in love with your own suspects.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Many cases of Stockholm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every year, several books come out that claim they have cracked the case and that they've solved this great murder mystery. And some of them have actually managed to unearth some new little nuggets of information, and they've added a little to this jigsaw. But the majority of them tend to twist the facts to fit their theory, so they're not very uh. If you're going to be historical, you can't change history to meet your narrative. So you have to really be careful with some of these books. Oh, you can't do that? No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a little frowned upon. Yeah, oh, some dear. of them really take some liberties to try oh, to dear. make their case the one that's going to blow all our minds. But Yeah. In the early days, the police appear to have believed that the crimes were committed by gangs. So that was the initial things, that these were just really violent gang crimes. In the first Whitechapel murder was a gang, because she lived long enough to tell them. But she's not considered the canonical five.
2: Not in the club.
0: Not in the, yeah, not in the exclusive five. That'd be so shitty to be part of the 11. Be like, you're not, you can't sit with us. (laughs) Yeah. So by early September 1888, the police came to the conclusion that if the gangs were responsible, somebody would have said something by then. Like somebody would have ratted somebody out. So it wasn't very logical. So by the time Annie Chapman was murdered, they were like, we're looking for one person. There was speculation that the killer demonstrated some amount of medical or, you know, anatomy knowledge just because of the surgical incisions and stuff. So they started searching exclusively for medical students who had spent time in asylum. Yeah. But also, like, what if the person hadn't been committed yet? (laughs) Like, A lot of the logic they're using, they're just looking for a very specific person.
1: Yeah, Uh, they were grasping. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't using hard evidence. They were using, like you said last week, they were using uh, conjecture.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Which I guess that's all they had at that time, too. But they didn't think...
2: Makes for a good movie with Johnny Depp.
0: It does. (laughs) But also, I'm sure... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because the only witnesses that said anything were like, "Oh, he's wearing a top hat and he was dressed nice and blah blah blah." So they're like, "Oh, it's probably somebody that's well off," but they wouldn't think that a rich person of nobility could do such a thing because they're probably looking this dude straight in the face and be like, "Oh, he couldn't do that. He's a gentleman."
1: Yeah. We're like, meanwhile, meanwhile, just spend an hour and a half talking about Desaad, who is like super, <laughs> 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 he had all of these like murderous <sighs> fantasies.
0: Yes. And then other cops were like, oh, he doesn't have medical skills. He was a butcher or slaughterman. slaughter man. And so they started checking out all the butchers and slaughterhouses too. And they're like, eh, we can't find anything. So then they were convinced that they were looking for a suspect who lived in the district because they're like, well, he'd probably murder people where he lives. But again, if that person was dressed so nice and had a top hat, nobody in that area had a top hat. Why would right. they think that he lives there? So again, I... I kinda go with the idea that maybe he was somebody of a higher status just coming in there, killing, and then going home and then nothing's gonna happen to him. But that's just yeah. me.
1: Or just some dude that found a top hat.
0: True. <laughs> well, they were like he's very clean and he like held himself a certain way. And, like people that lived in Easton were like oh, okay, okay, the okay. poorest of poor. Yeah, and they knew they knew the difference in character. And- Yeah, because even some of the victims, one of them, they were all wearing just basically rags and they were able to identify one because she was wearing an old dress from a like a factory from like months ago. And they were able to figure out that she worked there months ago. Like they were just so poor. I don't know. And I would assume that all these women, if they were prostitutes, they would be attracted to somebody that looked like they had money, too. So it might be somebody pretending to look wealthy, too. So I don't know. Again, there's no way to know. It's a little
2: problematic.
0: It? It's so, but true. Like they were, they were selling themselves they for stale you know, bread and exactly. three pence. If you're like, oh, like I looks like he's got yeah. money, I could mm-hmm. eat today. And, you know, yeah. Like uh, the last victim, she couldn't pay her rent, and that's how they found her because they went to collect the rent. And they were like, oh shit, she's dead. So over two thousand interviews were carried out by the Victorian police officers. That's a lot of interviews.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I suppose it's all they had going for him you know like a dumb fuck enough to like not you know look at actual physical evidence so
0: it's true and i mean it was such a publicized event too that they probably were desperate like we have to check everybody out because otherwise the public was gonna lose their shit more than 300 people were actually investigated and 80 people were detained but still they didn't find anybody there's so many suspects. I don't know why I did this subject. This could be its own podcast. I think it is its own podcast. So just bear with me. I know people are gonna be upset that I uh, left out it's not, some people. If, not
1: its own, if it's not its own podcast or like five podcasts, I've <laughs> my name's not
2: David Collins.
0: <laughs> so I just basically pick the ones that are the most popular, or the most outlandish, and then also the ones that the Jack the Ripper tour talks about. Because I'm like, they should know what they're talking about. Yeah.
1: Way to, way to self-editorialize their camera. I know. I like it it's yeah.
0: Hard. They have a thing. It's called um, Ripper Vision. So if you take the Jack the Ripper tour, they have like a camera and it does a pre- like projectile thing on the wall to show what the area looked like at 1888. So a lot of these areas don't exist anymore. They've torn them down or they built stuff on them. So they have like the actual pictures. That's the cool. blow up on the wall. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm ready. As soon as we're allowed in England again, <laughs> I, think, I think we're not allowed, but as soon as we're allowed again, I would like to go. I think it'd be really great. The yeah. first one, I think is just funny is that a lot of people are just adamant that the royal family was involved. So this is like the first conspiracy theory. So a lot of people think that Albert Edward Victor, Duke of Clarence, Queen Victoria's grandson, who was the presumptive heir to the throne of England was yeah. Jack the Ripper. So he was also known as Eddie and he was not Jack the Ripper. The Royal records show that he wasn't even in London on any of the dates of the murders, but people are like, but what if they're lying? Mm-hmm. Conspiracy theory. So in 1970, a British physician, Thomas Stowell published an article implying that Eddie had committed the murders during fits of insanity caused by advanced cases of syphilis. <laughs> which is a recurring theme everybody has sif so that was great until people like you didn't look up a single newspaper or official date or any source so womp womp he's not jack the Ripper. there's just no way he was not in london yeah and the yeah, next one that,
1: that's it's funny because like that is surprisingly of uh, rationalizing something is surprisingly similar to what
2: you see on Facebook.
0: <laughs> it's true and it would make for such a great story, right? The royal family covering 5G. up for the sick grandson and you know.
1: It yeah, is, it's the, it's AT&T, man. t <laughs> is the second of the coronavirus.
0: Yes, like I could get it being a good movie, but it's not real. The next one which, I mean, I watched the History Channel thing on it. The H.H. H. Holmes theory.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> and I covered H.H. H. Holmes in like episode 10. Anyway, so H.H. H. Holmes, he was one of the first serial killers in America. Some people are like, oh, he's the first. But then there was those brothers that killed a bunch of people in America. So anyway. And then he had the murder castle and he killed a bunch of people during the World's Fair.
1: Have you ever like Google Maps the, the location of where that hotel was?
0: Isn't it a post office now? Yeah, it's yeah. just
1: like a regular ass. <laughs> Anybody would just drive through it and be like, this is the most, bo- like, I, uh, let's hurry up and get to Six Flags, you know? like.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if you've uh, ever watched American Horror Story, the hotel one, that's loosely based on H.H. H. Holmes. Anyway, so Jeff Mudgett is a lawyer, but also the great great grandson, call- Mudgett. <laughs> He's the great great grandson of H.H. Holmes, and he claims a Holmes is Jack the Ripper. And he says that this theory is, you know, supported for experts, historians, and ripperologists. I just love that ripperologists aren't the same as experts or historians. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, according to Mudgett, Scotland Yard detectives visited the United States to search because they thought he was hanging out in the New World. So, he thinks. Jack the Ripper carried out his, you know, five murders and then escaped to the United States to dodge the police force and everything. So he says that he can support this claim because he has samples of his diary and he can compare it to the letters from Jack the Ripper. So he sent it to experts and they said that the Dear Boss letter that they've, you know, looked at both of them and they seem very similar. But Mm. that doesn't say anything because nobody knows the Dear Boss letter is real or not. So you can't have a definitive answer if people don't know if that's a hoax or not. Yeah.
1: And also like what, I mean, do they know about Holmes's whereabouts after, I mean, I haven't read a lot about Holmes or, or any of that. I mean, I know a little bit about it, but
2: there's
0: a little interesting. So Holmes always left like a trail of all his, so he was a con man. So he would, you know, travel and he would steal people's money and then use it all up and then travel. So there's a huge trail of him, except for the year between 1888 and 1889. So people are like, oh, it's proof that he's Jack the Ripper. And then there is somebody that comes back from England to the United States. That's H. Holmes on a, like a boat. But Holmes was a very common name back then. Oh. yeah. So...
1: I seem to recall it was even like a literary character.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So it's all very circumstantial and it's a lot of coincidences. And I can understand why the guy'd be like, yeah, I'm going to prove this to my great great grandpa because, you know, he was selling a book. I don't know. He also claimed that A.J. Holmes didn't actually die in the gallows, he paid somebody off to take his place, but they exhumed his body and it was him. So, yeah. I don't know. There's just, like, a lot of...
1: Listen, Kina, I'm sh- just watch it, like, watch it be Holmes. Watch it be <laughs> Holmes. They're going like, to figure it out. It's going to be H.H. Holmes, and everybody's going to be like, dude, I'm sorry, you were
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, my thing is, like, for one, we don't know if the letter is real, and we don't know that's really his diary, because yeah. he's just saying it is, and anybody could say anything. And, yeah. like, two, like I said, Holmes isn't a very rare name. Anybody could have been there, but, like, Three, Holmes was motivated by money. So everything he did was because he was a con man and he was traveling stealing people's money. And his murder castle was another way of him just taking advantage of people and taking their stuff. But like, the Ripper was just slaughtering poor people and prostitutes. So the the motivation doesn't line up. And if you're a serial killer, you don't change your style that fast. Yeah, And I mean, yeah. Holmes was kind of brutal, but he was not mutilating people. The Ripper was like cutting flaps and cheeks and eyelids and stuff, and Holmes never did that. So why would you reach the peak of your mutilation in England, come back to the U.S., and then start really tame again? That doesn't make sense to me psychologically. Unless he was just chaotic, but
1: I agree. I agree. Maybe. just Pathological people aren't
2: chaotic though, usually. So it's
0: true. I just can't imagine whoever you know killed the last one where she's there's nothing left of her being able to be like okay i'm done now <laughs> i'm good <laughs> it's just it's so it's escalated so fast i don't know so anyway we don't know if it's him or not i think it's a fun theory
1: yeah yeah i think that's what it's supposed to
0: be <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't <laughs> know it's supposed to be i don't get into um true crime a whole lot i do think it's it's interesting. But I do like the ones where people sort of like, or whoever is uh, researching it sort of like elaborates and they're like, and this pattern, you know, mixes with this pattern. <laughs> and these two people could be the same person, you know, these two killers mm-hmm. could be the same person. And it's fun, at least. It messes with my literary mind.
0: Yeah. And, you know, back to the Golden State Killer, he was the uh, East, oh shit, what, rapist? East? Area yeah. So, like,
1: they've,
0: Figured out it was the same person. So, like.
1: And the, uh, and the, uh, Vasalia Ransacker. Mm-hmm. He was, like, he was three different criminals. Yeah. Like, this guy was three different, you know, mm-hmm. compulsive criminals, so.
0: Yeah. That's why, like, when they're talking about the Whitechapel murders, you know, the first one, I don't think it's her. Because, I mean, she lived long enough to say it was a gang. But the second person was more of, like, a stabby murder. Yeah and then this one right after that is a slashy murder so I could understand that maybe he tried the stabbing first and was like nah and then went into the slashy I could kind of understand like that kind of evolution but I can't imagine going from completely chopping somebody's entrails and throwing it over her shoulder to being like I'm just going to build this castle that has trap doors and shit and see what happens next it just doesn't seem like a natural (laughs) I don't
1: think think London was fancy (laughs)
0: it's true (laughs) What a wild ride. Anyway, so the next one, this one's just wild to me. So Montague John Drewitt, on November 9th, 1888, seven weeks after the fifth and final murder, he was found floating in the River Thames and his pockets were filled with stones. So investigators concluded that the cause of death was suicide and the body was at the bottom of the river for a couple of weeks. So people noticed that he had suffered some personal crises during the, you know, 1880s. And he was dismissed from boarding school and some people more recently think that he was, you know, a closeted homosexual and he got caught and that's why he did it. And then his dad died and his mom was institutionalized. So all that to say is that he died at the same time the last murder and then all the murder stopped and people are like, well, he's dead. That stopped. He's yeah. the murderer. But he did leave a suicide note saying that he didn't want to be like his mother. And she was suffering from severe mental illness, so if he had been, you know, outed as gay, and maybe he thought that was mental illness, and he was afraid he's gonna be like his mom. That makes sense. So there's no actual evidence that he was Jack the River. He yeah. just died at a very unfortunate time. So yeah. I hate that he's always number one on these lists because there's no, he's not it.
2: <sighs> yeah.
0: So the next one, yeah. yeah. Carl Friedenbaum. According to one hypothesis, Jack the Ripper was a German sailor named Carl Friedenbaum who was executed for murdering a New York woman in 1894. The detective, Trevor Marriott, a former member of the Bedfordshire Homicide Squad, I love British names, points to the fact that two merchant docks were in operation near Whitechapel and that he was working at one of them. And he also noticed a striking similarity between Jack the Ripper's crimes and the slaying of Friedenbaum's alleged victim. Juliana Hoffman, which took place six years later. So archival research revealed that Friedenbaum, who went by a string of aliases, had been a merchant seaman for the, oh god, Norddeutsche line, which owned ships that had been docked at Whitechapel. And his defense lawyer says that at the time of him being prosecuted for that other murder, that he admitted that he was Jack the Ripper. But then again, it's like. The lawyer could be lying. At this point, the dude's been executed. There's no proof mm-hmm. that he actually said that. You didn't. I don't. Yeah, it's I don't a know.
1: signed statement or a
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the lawyer went to the newspapers and was like, "I got the proof." Blah, blah blah. But he could just be doing that just to get, you know, publicity for his law office. I don't know. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. I mean, he might have been there. They did place him there, so he's a maybe. Hmm. An That's, interesting one is yeah, Jill the Ripper. Have you heard the Jill the Ripper theory? Ooh, no. Yeah. So, even Sir Arthur maybe Conan maybe. Doyle has toyed with the notion that Jack the Ripper was actually a femme fatale. The only female suspect considered by detectives was Mary Percy, an English woman who in 1890 was executed for murdering her lover's wife and child with a carving knife. Yikes. Nice. Nice. It escalated very quickly. In 2006, a study from an Australian scientist, Ian Findley, yielded surprising results that gave credence to this because they tested the letters, so they licked it, and they said they extracted female DNA from it. Huh. But again, it's all very circumstantial. <laughs> yeah. Are they real letters? Are they hoaxes? You know, it's hard to say.
2: Yeah. I don't know.
0: <laughs> There's no way to know. And then a it- and another twist. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, a woman could be just as well as a man, I guess, but weren't there yeah. I mean, you, you were talking about the credibility of like the the eyewitness descriptions of the of the mm-hmm. dude and it was definitely a dude, right?
3: So like,
0: Yeah, and then there's also In one instance, somebody said they, oh, they saw her after she died and they talked about her clothes or something. So some people are like, well, maybe she put on her clothes and the killer went somewhere else and did something to throw people off. But again, that just seems it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like women typically don't kill by strangulation and four of them were killed by strangulation. So I don't know. I mean, it's not like all women. You know, but it's just, it doesn't make sense. Especially because many of the women were seen with a man before they died. So, I don't really, I don't really subscribe. I agree. I don't it. Yes. So, another book, A Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper, Case Closed, claims that they found DNA in a letter that points to Walter Sickert. Sickert was born in Munich in 1860 and he immigrated with his family to London in 1869. He was known for painting prostitutes and some believe that he used these paintings to insert like clues and symbols about Jack the Ripper other people did say that he was obsessed with it so it's hard to say it's also believed that he was impotent and had several surgeries on his penis experts have always suggested that Jack the Ripper may have had some kind of impotence problem because that's why he targeted prostitutes and so violently attacked them especially like removing sex organs and stuff it's always the impotence (sighs) this one like he died in 1942 that's a lot of time not to murder somebody.
2: Oh, this is the guy.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. just a long time to be like, I'm good, like it I'm is. done.
1: Maybe, I mean, maybe like, he got his potence back.
0: <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like, All right, like, I'm good. It just seems like a disappointing ending, like Dexter. You know, <laughs>
2: like it's just yeah.
0: I just don't well, get it. So the most story. famous okay. one is Aaron Kosminski. He's the one that yeah, okay, famous face. Recently, he was a mentally ill Polish Jew who was admitted to Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum in 1891. He immigrated from England in the 1880s and worked as a hairdresser in Whitechapel, which just made me think of like Sweeney Todd. You know, he was yeah. like flashing throats and as a hairdresser, but apparently, whatever. It's possible that he was a victim of anti Semitism. So a lot of people now think that maybe they just accused him because he was a Polish Jew, but there was another Polish Jew, Aaron Cohen was also known as david cohen who was a suspect and he was actually known for being quite violent so it was Hmm. just kind of like a polish jew did this and they just pointed fingers so it's a lot of uh nobody knows they were
1: pretty pretty heavily uh, you know discriminated against in london Mm -hmm. at that time for sure
0: oh yeah and (laughs) so the book naming jack the ripper by a uh, armchair detective in quotes that's what the source said Russell Edwards claims that he somehow came across you know the shawl from Catherine Eddowes and he was able to extract the DNA and this mitochondrial DNA evidence was able to say that this is definitively been but then everything I read is like you know this oh, kind of they DNA use,
1: they use like the DNA from a descendant of this Aaron Kosminski guy or something yeah right?
0: Yeah. So it says that, like, for one, there's no proof that this shawl was actually hers. Because uh-huh. the theory is that the cop on the scene was like, oh, my wife needs a shawl. I'm going to give it to her. But then the, that theory states that they never washed it or touched it or nobody ever had their DNA on it. Right. And then, two, the mitochondrial DNA can't be used to positively ID a suspect, it can only rule one out since thousands of other people you know, could have the same mitochondrial DNA. So it's not like a thousand percent, you know, right? it's very, uh. yeah. And I remember mean. watching a documentary and at first they were like, Oh, we were able to narrow it down. Cause some weird something in the DNA. And then they're like, "Oops, sorry. We made a mistake. And it was like, it could be <laughs> thousands of people. So I don't know.
1: It's just too far removed, man.
0: I know. But all these seem to be like ancestors being like, I'm going to prove it's my family. <laughs>
2: yeah (laughs)
0: Uh, and then there's George Chapman
2: damn it
0: Yeah, (laughs) and then George Chapman they think he did it but his MO was poisoning he killed like four women but poisoning is not the same as you know stabbing so next Francis Craig he was the husband of Mary Jane Kelly and some people think that he found out she was she changed her name and he found out she was you know acting as a prostitute and that he plotted to kill her. And then he killed the four other women before that to cover it up. But that doesn't make sense. That seems like a very elaborate. That seems like way too much work for somebody.
1: Yeah. You only need one mm. or two steps.
0: Yeah. It just seems like a lot, lot going on there. So I don't believe that one. Thomas Cutbush. He had a reputation for being a very aggressive and violent. He started to have delusions about the same time as the murders began because he had the sif. Just all of them have the sift. Over the next few years, there were a number of reports made about young women being stabbed in the back or the butt by a man with a knife. All I can just think is this dude like creeping around, be like, Pow. like
1: this is much this is going <laughs> it's like that, it's like that Mad TV sketch with the yeah. dude. The dude it's with exactly. the
0: scissors. Exactly what I'm that. thinking. So he was committed to an infirmary, and he was threatening people, and he ended up threatening his mom and his aunt with a knife. And he managed to escape and he was on the run for three days during which he stole clothing. He visited his family home and then he was seen rambling about being a Jack the Ripper. And during this period, two other women were attacked and stabbed in the butt. And the aunt found the knife and then they gave it to the police and they're like, please get rid of him. So he went to jail.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So he was declared insane and committed, but it doesn't he, really he check out.
2: Like back then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't really check out because he wasn't really killing people. He was just kind of like poop. But also he was committed most of the time these murders were happening, so it doesn't make sense. And then Dr. Thomas Cream. <laughs> <laughs> he supposedly admitted and the gallows, like they went to hang him. And right when they were hitting the thing, he went, I am Jack the and then he was dead. But
1: oh, come on. That's too cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> <You made it. laughs>
2: Yeah, and (laughs) stopped.
0: Yeah, and they said that the executioner was like very reliable,
2: fun guy who doesn't deserve this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it seems like he was in prison the whole time that these killings were happening. So some people are like, "Well, maybe he paid off the prison guards to let him out to go kill people." But again, that doesn't check out. So, yeah. None of these make sense. And those are all on the list of the most believable ones. And I don't believe any of them. Yeah. I think the,
1: I think the one that I come closest to believing is the, the Aaron Kuzminski guy. Yeah. Just because he matches like descriptions and uh, Mm -hmm. like you were saying with the letters, the way they were written and stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Him or the other guy. It seems
1: to me like a sort of a, you know sort of like a almost slavic way of of something like that you know possibly i don't know but mm-hmm. i mean i agree that it's more fun <laughs> to just keep it in uh it's true <laughs> anonymity. and i think you know we're far enough removed from the from the victims of the whole thing to just kind of like let it be <laughs>
0: yeah some things are so weird. I know like one woman was writing a book and now she thinks that she can prove it. And they're wanting to like exhume bodies again. And I'm like, at this point it's been so long. Just leave them be.
2: Yeah. Like,
0: I think it's fun to speculate and try to learn. But I think at that point, just leave them alone. They've been through enough.
1: <laughs> it also kind of like shows you how, uh, you know, how it, important like DNA evidences and stuff. Yes. I it's, it's always going to be a, it's always going to be like a, a lightning rod for the kinds of things that we have at, at our disposal and the kind of, you know, the the way that you don't want to run a, a multiple murder <laughs> investigation, you know?
0: Yeah. It's and
1: probably that, what
0: they teach you in like criminology, like what not to do. <laughs> it's the yeah. case?
1: It's definitely one of those things that will always be, I don't know. I mean, it's just always going to be like a collective. It's kind of like the anonymity of it is just kind of something that we all, yeah, gravitate towards. If if they ever found out for sure who it was, I think we'd all be a little bit.
0: Actually, <laughs> I think so. I think we'd be a little disappointed. We'll we'll never know, and yeah. that's it. Hurts my heart a little bit, but you know, I guess it gives a little mystery. But like you said, I think it makes sense that they be an immigrant, and then it makes sense that they'd either die or be committed. And both the Polish immigrants that are suspects were both committed right after the murders. So, so like that. Oh God, I already forgot his name. Something. It's going to be the most easy name. David, (laughs) David C. (laughs) Yeah. David Cohen. Yeah. He's the the
1: most basic ass bitch (laughs) name.
0: (laughs) Oh God.
1: Like the most dumb fuck. Back the week. <laughs> good ass.
0: Uh, yeah, well, they said he was like more aggressive and more, you know, people are more
2: afraid I of him. I so maybe. David, I
0: Here's the spooky. So, Spooky shit in no particular order. So Catherine Eddowes, who was the second victim of the double event where the two women were murdered, was discovered mutilated on the corner of Mitres, Mitri, Mitri Square. I don't know. God, I suck. Local tradition maintains that on the anniversary of the killing, people have occasionally glimpsed her ghostly figure lying upon the spot where her life came to an end.
2: I'm,
1: I'm sorry i'm the i'm the worst i'm the <laughs> worst audience for spooky shit because i i just laugh at people who believe in
0: ghosts <laughs> i love ghost stories because you have to tell history to hear about the ghost Oh no, yeah
1: yeah that's true that's true
0: but yeah i want to believe and i keep going to all these haunted places i'm like haunt me and nothing happens haunt and me. i'm so disappointed
1: i <laughs> do I want nightmares
0: I do, I do, I do. So hold on, okay. So this picture, my body. This right here is where this little smoke is supposedly like the spot where she died. So people are like, "Oh, there it is. There's proof."
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that but was taken last year you know, when people could actually
2: zero humidity this day when I. Took- <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's also said that the cobblestones where she died glow red on the anniversary of her death which there's only a couple of cobblestones in a very small area that are original to the area of the murders so pretty much everything that like all the murder areas is unrecognizable now so that's why I think that Ripper Vision is very interesting because they put up that projector so you can see what it looked like because it's so different so next in durward durward <laughs> sucks so bad at words durward street it sounds so bad it was bucks row so it's a new name the general area is supposedly haunted by the sounds of the victims of jack the Ripper. So people just be walking on the street and then you hear sound of somebody getting murdered i guess oh. that could be startling i don't know you don't see anything you just hear it
1: yeah, he probably left his re- his digital recorder there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like on Pineville, they <laughs> left it in the concrete. Somebody just keeps stepping on it.
0: And some people say that on the anniversary of the death, they see a glowing woman laying in the gutter, the location where Mary Ann Nichols was discovered, the first victim.
1: Hmm. Did they ever try to help her?
0: You see that's the other thing. I'm like. All these people are like, oh, I saw this ghost in a thing. And I'm like, well, did you go make sure it wasn't a real person? Because that could yeah, still be a like, thing that's how happening. Can,
1: how can you tell? I mean, some people look like ghosts.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't be the only person sees like a garbage bag. And you're like, oh, there's definitely a person in there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you got to go check that stuff
2: out. Huh. I'm just-
1: you know, for all the stupid shit that I've believed in, <laughs> like I've never believed in ghosts for some reason. So I'm all I feel bad for pe- when I talk to people who either do believe in ghosts or who like want or who want to yeah. or who like don't even care about it, but they're just like trying to have fun with it. Cause I'm always like that, I'm always that asshole that's like, ah, that's bullshit.
0: Man, I just love it. Cause like ghost hunts, you, you get to go to like historic places at night by yourself, with, like people. Uh-huh. It's just a way to get in. You know, I had the best time at the Crescent Hotel going on a ghost hunt. And
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it should be. I really should look at it that way. But it's
0: just- so fun. Except, like, I had to pay extra to stay in the extra haunted room and see. like, you're ridiculous. Because he doesn't believe. He just thinks I'm just dumb. And we went to St. Uh-huh. Augustine, which is the oldest white person city in the U.S.
2: Yeah, Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we to
0: the ghost to earth hair. And it was just so cool getting to go to the fort at night and you get to go inside and stuff. It was just, you know what?
1: I've never thought about that.
0: Yeah. No, you're you're right. A couple of more. Okay. So 10 bells, public house, commercial street for many years in the 1970s and eighties, it was renamed Jack the rivers and it sold ripper triple drinks. So that's Mm. tasteful, but then Mm. it became a brewery and it changed its name back in 1989. So they had live staff who said in the bedrooms of the upper floors, they would wake up to alarming encounters of a ghostly Victorian man standing over their bed. Very nice. creepy. And the landlord of the pub claimed that Annie Chapman's ghost takes up residence there. There's no proof why he thinks it's Annie Chapman, but okay. And then he says there's strange winds and they reported mild, mild poltergeist behavior. Didn't specify <laughs> what that meant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know because if jack the ripper was anything he was mild <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they said that she's haunting there because she was reportedly seen drinking there right before she was murdered huh i mean i guess if i was murdered and outside of a bar i'd be like yeah i'll just stay yeah i'm just gonna go right back in here and the site of the murder you're, is yeah, c- if you if you were just
1: drinking and you're staring down at your at your dismembered corpse like
0: yeah. You gotta yeah. Go back. Just going to go back in there for a while. Uh, <laughs> and the site of where her actual murder was is now occupied by the former Truman Brewery building. And legend of the brewery is that on the anniversary of her death on September 8th, the boardroom would become icy cold. And then people would see her go standing in the storeroom, oh. which is the spot where she died. So that'd be startling. Yeah. Walk in there to do your job and you're like, all right, I'll come back. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>
1: maybe maybe her, maybe, her unfinished business is corporate business.
0: <laughs> Apparently.
1: She's, she wants to be a member of the board.
0: <laughs> she does. They should give her an honorary position. She's also been seen outside on one occasion in the 1930s. A witness could hear her murder and said that he could see nothing at the site. And then he saw a headless body in the area where she was murdered. I'm assuming they ran away. I don't know. There was nothing else after that, but huh. good thing about ghost stories, there's a lot of headless people. People are very calm about it. Like I just saw this headless corpse. And then I was like, oh, yeah. it's a ghost, right?
2: And then <laughs> good is, story.
1: <laughs> you would think that those people would be telling that story like through through like convulsing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I
0: would not be chill oh, about crazy. that at all. Oh,
1: It's funny, too, because, like, you know, I'm telling you, like, I'm not really affected by this. I'm sitting out here in the dark. and I'm I'm all by myself, and it's still not, like. (laughs) like
2: Uh,
0: uh, So the next one is Westminster Bridge. So on New Year's Eve, they say they see a phantom man throwing himself off the bridge. And many believe it is the ghost of Jack the Ripper. But I don't believe this one because we've already said that that dude did not kill himself because he was Jack the Ripper. So next, Miller's Court, (laughs) Dorset, (laughs) and that street doesn't exist anymore. But several witnesses claim they have spoken to Mary Kelly hours after the doctor said she was dead. So this is one of the things where some people said that maybe she was killed by a woman and the woman put on her clothes and people talked to her. Then other people say that they Mm -hmm. talked to the ghost after she died. So.
1: I wonder. Uh, I wonder if um, if there was any like accomplicing or something, you know, like a yeah, a female accomplice that was just a sub or something.
0: I mean, that you know, makes like, more sense.
1: <laughs> there's, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it with absolutely no evidence to back it up. <laughs>
0: And then the last one they said on Burner Street for months after the Jack the Ripper murder, they could hear the screams of the poor victims where they were killed. Hmm. So people just, but then again this was such a like media frenzy that I'm sure people were just coming up with whatever they could to tell the press so they could get, you know, covered. Yeah,
1: or they were like grabbing somebody and be like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> uh, go and Go go scream like you're being murdered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> It'd be really funny, guys. I promise.
1: Yeah, this is gonna be great. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, those five women that were that were absolutely hideously, brutally murdered. Uh, let's trick people into thinking scary.
0: Uh, which I mean, the Victorian era was really big and like spiritualism and stuff, like people believing yeah. ghosts and superstitious and it checks out that people
2: would yeah
1: it's a way to i don't know it's a way to kind of like deal with trauma i suppose to uh, i uh, which some you know something like that ravaging your your uh neighborhood even years down the line is probably pretty traumatic
0: oh i'm sure i'm sure it was really terrifying for all the women there not knowing if i believe they were gonna be, were gonna be next, next or, or yeah, no thanks. Yeah,
1: for real, you know, I would have formed like a if, after like the second one, I might have like formed a coalition of <laughs> <laughs> like women in the area and just uh, just constantly like you buddy know, system <laughs> walk, walk, walk walk like four a piece and with with like knives just sticking out the whole time. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, like, one of the victims, she was with a friend, and then they met with two men, and then they separated to do their prostituting or whatever, and then the one got murdered. So it's like, the kind of buddy system did not yeah. work out. God. Man, history is just... I keep on quoting Queen's podcast, but history's is back of dicks. <laughs> like, it's just so depressing.
1: Well you know, it's funny that you say that because like <laughs> that was kind of a DeSaud's recurring theme and everything is like, you know, uh, that that's why I kind of found that topic really interesting too is that, mm-hmm. you know, it's as much as you, as much as you hate somebody like that, you do kind of have to admit that like humans are just, I mean, we're just animals really like, yeah. at heart. and I mean, we do have the ability to sort of like, right you know to 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 evolve our minds and educate ourselves and and sort of like become a a higher you know you know achieve a higher morality i guess but we a lot of the time like you know we're just as brutal as anything else in the animal kingdom
0: that's true (laughs) and and just as
1: and just as you know nasty and stuff like that even if we try to i
0: think that's the the thing thing that gets me about jack the ripper it's like yeah i want to know he is but like I'm also kind of angry that he never got caught because he probably went down being like, I, I'm i the yeah. best. They never knew who I was. I don't think he deserved that satisfaction that he got from that. Yeah, was,
2: yeah
1: for sure. And 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 I, I thought about, I think about that sometimes too. You just kind of wish like that kind of thing would, would die into the, I, I don't know the fading light of history, I guess, but so it's also a human story, you know, Mm. I can't really, it's not every, not every act of, uh, of violence is going to get justice, you know? So it's, it, it always, yeah, it does kind of serve as a reminder of that, of like how, how much it, how much it has sucked to be a, you know, to be a human, but also, (laughs) it's so true. (laughs) But also you can, you know, you can compare your life to it, I guess. And just, it's, yeah. there are always bright spots in humanity and, and really. It's true. Not,
0: yeah. I was talking to somebody earlier. I think it was another podcast and I'm like, I think maybe why I'm so fascinated by serial killers is because both my parents as children met serial killers. And I'm like, how do I exist? Like, it's just like how they pick their victims and just like how many people knew this person and Dodge which, bullets. Ones that, they, which
1: ones do they know?
0: My dad is lived on happened? the same street as John Wayne Gacy. And um, he used to drive by dressed up as Pogo all the time. But my dad was 17. So a little older than his victim.
1: Yeah. So he was around. Yeah. Uh, Gacy is probably the, the fucking creepiest one to me. Like, I,
0: yeah. Mm-mm. I remember my mom took pictures. I was a baby. But like after it all happened, they like bulldozed his house and it was just an empty lot for a long time so my grandma still lived there so they were moving her out to move her down to arkansas and my mom would drive by and like take pictures she's like it was creepy as shit (laughs) but like somebody built a house now it's for sale again i think yeah
1: so your mom knew or had connection with who
0: oh um mark allen smith he was a big serial killer in Illinois. He was in the army and murdered a bunch of people. And then my grandpa worked with him. My grandpa owned a TV shop and hired him. And so my grandpa would go out on house calls and leave my mom and my, you know, aunts and uncles in the store with him. And uh, then one day he murdered a customer in the back and then took off. And <laughs> he got caught. He ended up. They um. Oh shit! Wait, what's the book? He wrote yeah. a book about it. But yeah, I'm like mommy got babysat by a serial killer that's so weird (laughs) (laughs) but it was like mountain home arkansas like he strangled her and did some like it was awful and then put her in her car in the back seat and then parked it at the square and like it took days for somebody to find her and it was
1: (sighs) it's everywhere man i mean you know and that that's kind of the i don't know that i guess that's what the the heart of what i was saying is you know you can't escape like the wretchedness of, yeah. of humanity and i think like really honestly like that's why a lot of people are so enthralled with with uh true crime and with mystery mm-hmm. and with you know sort of like gruesomeness and you know because you, we all know like we have we all have like the capacity for stuff like that even if we you know keep ourselves to to a moral code it's just mm-hmm. It's such a crazy, uh, the human condition is so crazy because yeah. we're like, we, we kind of think of ourselves as as a step above animals, but we still dip down into that. Like. <laughs> well,
0: you're not. But the book, he wrote it in prison. It's called Legally Sane. That's Mark Allen Smith. Oh, okay. I've heard that name before. I yeah, don't know. He's, he killed 12 women. Yeah, he's a monster. But my mom said that she remembered the FBI showed up at the house and talked to my grandpa and he never told her what he, they said to him. So I was like, well, I wish I would have known what they said to him. That's, yeah, man. Yeah. That's
2: crazy, man.
0: From Yaleville, Arkansas, who would have thought? <laughs> I like, just...
2: yeah, had no idea.
0: I know. I didn't either. And it's like one of those stories when I was like, oh, I thought I told you about that. And I was like, no, you did not. <laughs> oh like i remember my dad talking about it because i remember my whole life my dad talked about seeing john Gacy. like he was a little boy and he just barely made it and then i realized i did the math i was like you were like 17 man although my dad looked 12 at 17 so fair enough yeah thank you so much for joining me no problem. I am. I'm, I'm always willing to do it. I've, maybe
1: next time we should do it a little earlier in the day. Cause oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> at this point of the at this point of the day, it's like ten thirty. T- it's almost eleven. I, I I start getting like my voice is really.
0: You know this is what happens in your mid thirties. You're like, I need to be in bed. <laughs> but I
1: it it does this has forced me to look into a subject that I've always been interested in. So, uh, and it did not disappoint. So,
0: yeah, it was, it was a yeah. lot of information. I didn't know. And now I need to look, I wrote down stuff and I wrote down that I need to call. <laughs> take my sweet pork of my thoughts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <So, laughs> that will be, be happening later. <laughs> <When> <laughs> I, read that,
1: I was so excited, man. <laughs> I, it's it kind of put me to shame. I was I've always thought like that, uh, you know. I could come up with a really good pet name if I wanted to. Oh,
2: nothing minor, will top minor, that. To that.
0: Oh yeah, no. I'm pretty sure so he's just be like, what, "What's it. wrong with you?" It is fine. Oh well, thank you so much. And no problem uh, for having me. Yeah. So.
1: so- <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk soon
0: yeah thank you okay bye, bye. <laughs> so another special thanks to david for joining me i had so much fun and i learned so much and if you want to watch these live join patreon this patreon.com slash historical af pod and when you join us live you get to comment and you get to see the three hours i'm gonna cut out of this <laughs> and all the pictures and stuff so definitely you should join Along with all the other benefits. And also we need your stories for the extra AF. So if you have any spooky stories or true crime or town legends or just anything historical and cool you want to tell me, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. And also just follow the podcast on social media. That's historicalafpod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It helps a lot if you can rate and review on iTunes. And I think that's it. Thank you guys so much for joining us for sex history part three. And you can join us next week for royalty part one with Queens podcast. Oh my God. This is the first time I've been so nervous. I was literally shaking. (laughs) So definitely join for that. It
3: was a really great time. All right. I'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Greetings and salutations. This is Cage's Kiss, the ultimate Cage cast, where we discuss the movies and life of the national treasure, Nick Cage. My name is Linda, and every week I'll be joined by my brother Donnie and my best friend Adrian. There are three of us here, and I can't help but notice that none of us are Nicolas Cage. Did nobody call him? What? A Cage cast with no Nick Cage? What the shit's going on here? No, instead of being Nicolas Cage, we're three Nicolas Cage experts, which is the next best thing. I don't think we should admit to being experts. Too late. Unlike other Cage podcasts, we want you to participate. If you've seen Nick Cage out in the wild or have any other fun Nick Cage stories, we want to hear it. If you have any real-life dilemmas, we want you to send them in. We are not experts at anything. We are not life coaches, and we are not in any way, shape, or form qualified to give you suggestions on life choices. But Nick Cage is, and he's made hundreds of life choices. We'll try to glean any wisdom we can from Nick Cage's character we're discussing that week to help you with your situation. Seriously, I cannot stress enough just how much you should not take our advice. But we're experts. No, seriously, we're not experts. Yes, but we will be reviewing his first acting gig as Nicholas Coppola, Best of Times, which features a young and very precious Crispin Glover. And his work in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And his work in My Nightmares. Please subscribe and join us every week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, PodCoin, YouTube, or our website, CagesKids.com. We're experts. We're not experts.